It's another fine day at Camp Dynasty. I am Counselor Austin, joined by Counselor Colin. And Colin, dare I say that week six was the best week of college football we've seen so far. Week seven. Or that. Yeah. That works too. Uh, Week six was great. Uh, Week seven was even better. Uh, Man, this NFL college thing's really (laughs) screwing me up. It's tough. I can't believe it's already week six and seven, respectively. Uh, But yeah, yeah, it was was a lot lot of fun games, a lot of intense performances, a few upsets. It was a very enjoyable college football this weekend. Yeah, it was. There we got a couple games players were talking about here this week that played in some exceptional, exceptional games this week. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's like you said, next week, this upcoming weekend, if you're a dynasty player, which if you're listening to this, I don't know why else you would be. So yeah, you are. It's midway point of the fantasy season, 14-week schedule. It's week seven. That's always the marker of, like, what, what is my team? Am I good? Am I buying? Am I selling? Am I, what am I doing? So we're already to that point, and I'm, I'm currently facing my own conundrums in my home league. So, you know, we're working through that stuff, but we're also working through the, the next year's class. <laughs> Yeah, and if you're faced with that idea of buying or selling, you can tune in here to find out if you should be buying 2023 draft picks for your players that you're looking to sell, and you can get some of these gems in a, a little early, get a little insight on these guys. Spoiler, you should be buying yeah. these picks. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't any <laughs> anyone who said hoard 2023 was correct. Yeah, I I don't know a lot of people that are selling their 2023 picks, but I mean, people are going to be moving into that contending phase where they're going to be selling anything to get those, you know, running backs, wide receivers, fill those lineup needs and, you know, survive that treacherous late season and get through injuries and bye weeks and anything else to secure those those high seeds and make the playoffs. Capitalize on desperation. That's the name of the game in Dynasty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, before we jump into it, uh, morning meeting, I'm, you know, I don't love the name morning meeting. I've been workshopping some things in my mind. It's a little too corporate. We're not corporate here. We're out in the sticks. This is the sticks, man. We, we pop the campfire open every night, but, uh, for the time being anything before we jump into it here this morning. Well, I I know you had some points to make about tight ends. I don't don't know if you want to bring that up here or not. I I don't know. I I'm in a rough spot. <laughs> it's okay. I understand. <laughs> what I do want to say is it's just like, man, these uh these running backs this year, man, like we're not even I'm I'm spoiling the show, but we're not talking about Jameer Gibbs this week and we're not talking about uh Bijan, we're not talking about Charbonnet, like there's just so many guys, man. And and Jameer, like out of all these guys this week, I'd love to get him in the show yeah. because he's he's really starting to uh he's really starting to cement himself as that RB two in the class. It's I don't I don't know if anybody like I, I had Zach Evans ahead of him in the preseason and I'm not committing to moving those rankings around, but man, 
Jameer Gibbs is doing everything he can to to put himself in that spot this year. Yeah, you're stepping on on some toes for a, a later part of the show, but uh, Jameer Gibbs oh looks boy. incredible. Oh a little boy. bit of a <laughs> little bit of a hat trick in uh, that Alabama Tennessee game, but you know you can't talk about everybody every week, so you got to be a little bit selective. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll I'm sure Gibbs will see the see his share of the limelight going forward. Yeah. All right. Well, I won't spoil anything further uh we'll we'll get to that when we get to it but outside of that i think uh i think i'm ready to jump in let's do it all right camper of the week hit me with yours first this week all right so i had somebody that we've talked about previously i have somebody that is climbing my rankings dalton kincaid had an incredible game in Utah's upset over USC, had 16 catches, 234 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, it, it was th- this was the best tight end performance of the season by far, and th- this was Kincaid showing all of those little pieces, all those little nuggets that you were loving in in previous performances, and kind of bringing them all together and, and piecing it all up. And it, it, it came on a variety of ways. It came him beating zone, him beating man, whatever you needed him to do. Him running after the catch looked incredible. I mean, th- this is probably – I don't know if he's the most athletic tight end in the class, but it seems like in terms of polish plus athleticism – he seems to have kind of the complete package because uh, where where Michael Mayer may seem to lack, it seems like Dalton Kincaid excels. So uh, it, it's a push and pull for me between these two guys as my tight end one, but Kincaid doing this is nuts. 234 yards out of a tight end. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I'm very curious to find out kind of how he tests. Like To me, he doesn't strike me as the most most athletic player out there but he's just so polished you know and it's like there's part of you that says well okay yeah he came back like he could have probably declared last year and he comes back and he he looks like a polished player he looks like an nfl draft prospect that decided to beat up on college uh one more year but that's not a bad thing i mean he's like i said in the preseason couldn't really get my hands on too much tape of his uh, kind of a hard one to to lock down a preseason eval for, but man, this game—I mean, you said it. Th- this was the mo- I I might even go further. I mean, extend it past the tight end position. Mm. This was one of the most dominant performances that I've seen all year from any player because what he was doing in the second half was like ridiculous to watch, like. He was uncoverable. Like they could have thrown it to him ten more times, and he would have had eight <laughs> more catches. Like he couldn't be stopped. Uh, safeties, linebackers, everybody. Like no matter what they did, they could not stop this guy. And man, there's just a there's a catch on the the, the big highlight catch, I guess you could say sideline catch. Yeah. The big, the big one, right? Of course. So he's matched up with safety one-on-one, and the safety plays it perfectly. I mean, he he pushes him to the boundary. He plays. He 
times the pass really well. He's all up in his face. I mean, I, Kincaid can't even see the ball at that point. He's pushed up against the sideline, and he just pulls it down. He's just bigger than the guy. He gets his arms up there. He pulls it down. He gets his foot down. He get you know it's called incomplete and it's overturned. Like he, he was just making exceptional plays all game long, and he took over the game. He's the reason that they won this game. No doubt about it. A hundred percent. And the, that, that was easily his best play of the game, that, that sideline catch. And then the, but I think my favorite play that he made, he kind of came out. It, it was just a seam route, simple, easy, you know, every day, but it's the type of play you need to be able to make every single time. If you're going to be a productive NFL tight end is you're going to need to need to find that hole behind the linebacker inside of the outside corner and underneath the deep safety you need to find that spot and and Kincaid he fired off the ball and it was a perfect release it was like out of the stance out of the three-point stance fired straight up looked like he was coming out of a two-point stance and got behind that linebacker and then just slowed up a little bit let the quarterback drop it in and made a little move got a few extra yards and it was just like that beautiful like oh man yeah that that is something that you see good NFL tight ends finding those spots you know getting the sweet spots getting those 30 yard gains and then I mean you you build from there with some of the ridiculous catches and and the routine plays where it's like the drags the curls you know the the other you know 12 targets it's not just like the, the big plays. It's like every single time, the attention to detail, the route running, the finding the holes in the zone. It's just like really, really impressive. And this, this is the kind of thing you want to see out of a guy, especially when you come back. You want to see that polish. You want to see that, you know, that quote-unquote like professionalism as a tight end because you see these guys come into the league and they stink for two years. And if this guy's coming back and he's like, showing that polish showing that you know nuance then you can be a little more confident in him as maybe an nfl prospect being good younger yeah and they i mean they called his number blocking as well i mean he was the lat the game winning two-point conversion i mean they or maybe it was a touchdown but one of the two i mean the first the first play they tried to get it to him he was matched up they get a rollout. he's rolling to the right he draws a pass interference. We get the ball in the goal line. Next play, they call him motion. He's on the right side. He motions, and he is the blocker for Cam Rising to win the game. Like, that is what he was doing on that play. And, I mean, that's that's a testament to what they think of him as a blocker. And, obviously, you see what he does as a receiver. So, I mean, I think he's the I think he's the whole package, man. I think he's, he's, a, he's a underrated. Uh, as far as I know, tight end in the class, I've, you know, you hear a lot of the, the Michael Mayers and, you know, things like that, but it, I haven't heard much about Kincaid, but like, I think he's, he's playing his way easily into that top three in the class. Yeah. He had, he had another block on another one of their touchdown runs where he just washed the D end. He was lined up on the right side and just took that D end and brought him like over to the left tackle and was like, Hey, you want to meet my friend? This is the right side defensive end, and Rising just took it to the house because there's nobody to worry about on the whole right side of the field. 
Hell yeah, man. Dalton Kincaid, keep the name in mind. Man, tight ends are weird. You, I mean, you alluded to it. I could have went on a whole ramp to start this show. <laughs> weirdest weirdest position group of all time. It's true. Uh, but we'll save it. Um, all right. My camper of the week. I mean, you could call him Mr. Heisman. You could call him, you know, whatever you want at this point, but I'm calling him Hendon Hooker camper of the week because man, there's a, there's not really a hotter name in college football right now than Hendon Hooker. And as from a dynasty prospect perspective, I mean, it's a guy that catches your eye because he's a dual threat quarterback. I mean, he, he has really, really exceptional playmaking ability. And honestly, like this, this performance against Alabama in what was probably, I mean, it was the game of the year. It was an unbelievable game. I mean, it's, we're, it's like, we're playing in the big 10, 52 to 49, like shootout game in, in uh, Knoxville and Hendon was, was showing out. He's balling out again. I mean, it's just constant at this point. Tennessee is for real. It's because of him. Um, and as a, as a prospect, you know, that I'm starting to get more and more like, what do we have with this guy? So I dove into the film this week. This was the first moment of the season now, and it's going to get progressively more and more as we go, where I, I sit down and I actually watch some game tape about this player and say, okay, what does he look like? And I, I went back to watch the Florida tape. Obviously, I watched the Bama, the Bama, you know, the, the what is it called? The condensed game or whatever. Yep. I watched that, but, like, we got the cut-up of the Florida game. So I went back and watched that and did my took some notes and things like that. Man, I he's he's really solid. He's really solid. There's there's certainly weaknesses in his game that would prevent me from like putting him amongst sort of like the top tier of guys in this class. But he's just really solid. And one of the things that jumps out to me is the touch. This guy's got an unbelievable sense of of how to float it in to to spaces. I mean, the deep ball is is as beautiful as it comes really good touch passer. You've been saying it for weeks, not really a rocket guy. He's not going to slice it in there and, you know, get those short little tight window throws, but there's, there's a role for a guy like this who can really operate efficiently within a scheme can manage it very. I mean, I don't want to call him a game manager because it, that feels wrong, but like he has maybe more than I gave him credit for a few weeks ago. Yeah, I so the thing that pops in my mind when I watch Hendon Hooker, and this is going to sound disrespectful because of the recent play, but this is a compliment because this is a, likely a Hall of Fame quarterback. But Hendon Hooker, his throwing reminds me of Russell Wilson. And that, that comes down to the beautiful deep ball. It comes down to the... The touch passes. I mean, think about like Russell Wilson throwing to Doug Baldwin, throwing to like Tyler Lockett, throwing to DK Metcalf on those little like teardrops over like thirty-five yards, running a corner route and just dropping it in the bucket, a perfectly thrown ball. I mean, Russ. 
threw. I don't I don't know if he's still good anymore, but <laughs> Russ would throw some of the most catchable footballs in the game. And I mean that translated to like Tyler Lockett never had a drop in the red zone. And it's like, well that's yeah, Tyler Lockett's really good, but it's also Russell Wilson throwing a a gorgeous like extraordinarily catchable ball. And I see that in Hooker where it's like okay like yeah you can you can throw that thing it's it's on time on target and it's got a a pretty touch on it now yeah it, it comes back to russell wilson what's his deficiencies well he doesn't put a lot of whole lot of heat on the ball he doesn't throw over the middle very much because he doesn't put that heat on the ball but i think hooker could develop that because he's got the stature of a big time quarterback six four two twenty. it's like He's that that size where he can he can gain that attribute eventually, and so like, could Hooker have the whole package as quarterback? He could. Right now, is he a really good quarterback anyway? Yeah, he's damn good. Well, it's it's one of those things too where it's like, I don't know, man. It's really hard because like, I mean, he's he's a Heisman favorite easily i mean he is commanding this team that you know it would have been easy you know every win it's like well they're not going to beat this team then they do and it's like well they're not going to beat alabama and then they do and it's in large part because of what hennon hooker is doing but oh my god it's just so hard because like there are definitely areas of his game that when you think about a translation factor it's like it's not quite there and we mentioned this like previously when we talked about him a couple weeks ago or whatever it was like accuracy is still very hit and miss i mean there's there's just throws where the the uh the pinpoint you know what you're looking for is a pinpoint passer it's just not there um and then there's also this element to him where he is a bit like statuesque in the pocket, despite being a mobile guy. Like he kind of tends to just sort of it's not he doesn't really drop back even. He kind of just it's a shotgun snap, catches it. He kind of just sits there. Newton he, he go. You remember Cam, you remember Cam Newton how he just kind of catch the shotgun snap and then just stand and look. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very similar to that where it was. It's like and and Hen, Hooker's going through the the progressions well and all of that. That's great, but like he has time to do that. And the thing is, he's not really staying. He's not really staying on the balls of his feet too much. Like when guys come behind him, we saw that in the Florida game. It's like. If the rusher gets him on the backside, he's just cooked because he's just kind of sitting there waiting. Um, and in a game like this against Alabama, that actually does come back to bite him at, at one time. His first interception of the season was on a pass where he it's it's exactly what we said. Like he catches a snap, he doesn't really move. He's almost flat foot, footed on this play. Uh, and he th- he throws a pass and it sails over the guy and it's picked off. And that's not the first time that you see it on film where he's just kind of standing. His mechanics kind of, you know, break down because he's not moving his lower body effectively and he sails a pass. And and in this case, it was intercepted. So there's that mechanical element where there's a little bit of cleanup. But I, you know, depending on how severe that is, I don't always, you know, put too much stock in that because that's coachable uh, at the end of the day. But it's just little things like that where in a prospect, uh, point of view like he's not you know I'm not going to sit here and say like oh he's playing his way into the QB three spot or something like that but um, 
I'm I'm gonna point to one positive moment, and may I don't I don't know if you saw this play, but uh, end of the game. All right, it's fourth and five. There is four minutes to go. They are down by a touchdown. It's fourth and five. Like this is this is basically the game. And Hooker gets pressured by multiple guys. He escapes a very messy pocket. Like gets outside. He's rolling left. Uh, and he, he gets out, throws, rolling left as a right-handed quarterback, hits, I don't remember who it was, but he hits him right on the money. Like, perfect, perfect pass. The receiver dropped it. I mean, it hit him on the hands, and he kind of, you know, it's a contested play, but he, he should have caught it. He didn't. They call pass interference, and they get the first down, and then they win the game. Like, it was that throw where you're kind of sitting there like, okay, like this guy has this in his arsenal where it's like a the, the most clutch situation you could possibly think of, and he puts that pass right where it needs to be to win the game. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that makes you kind of sit there and say, hey, you know, this guy has some real talent, and, and he should not be discredited even if he's not going to be the quarterback three even if he's not going to be the quarterback four, like quarterback five, quarterback six, whatever it is, this is a deep class. We said that last week, and Hooker is going to be a guy that we we keep our eyes on uh, as a dynasty community because of that dual threat ability. And I think he's he's almost better off as like one of these later quarterbacks taken because he he needs a little bit of polish. And he needs those that mechanical and a little bit of the bad habits. He needs to get rid of those, and you, you outline those really well right there. And it's like, yeah, Hooker can can sling the rock. He can throw it around the field. And there's a lot of things he needs to work on. He needs to work on his improv. I mean, he had that one good play that you're talking about right there where they drew the the pass interference. But there's a lot of times where, like you said before, he's standing. He's just standing still. And he's oblivious to the pressure behind him. And it's like, if we can work on that improv, get you off platform, and then see you make those throws consistently, that's when you see him move from where he's at now up the rankings. And it, even if he doesn't do that by the end of the season, if he's drafted late first round, early second round, whatever, in the NFL draft, and it's like he's on a good football team with a good coaching staff and he gets some time to grow in a positive environment, you could see those traits improve. And then he becomes a well-rounded full-time NFL starting quarterback with dual threat upside. I'm going to say that I like, I'm, I don't want to make comps here, but this is the second time I'm throwing this name is out it there. Is going to be it Jack just, Prescott? It, <laughs> it, it could be. It it very well could be. I was going to say Jalen Hurts. Like, mm. Jalen Hurts and and Dak Prescott. Two. I would consider those two players two of my worst quarterback misses ever. And it's because those were guys that took massive leaps on a year-to-year basis, including in the NFL. Like, Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, junior year film, not good. It's just not good. And then when you get to the senior year stuff, it's like, like in Dak's case, it was like, ah, he's looking pretty good this year. But like, 
I don't want to. I'm not going to forget about what I saw a year ago. Like that's still in there, until it's not. I mean, these guys get better. And a guy like Hooker, where it's like you're a transfer. He's coming in from Virginia Tech. He wasn't at all the player he is today at Virginia Tech. Gets a little better last year. Now he's a Heisman candidate at the very least this year. Maybe the Heisman winner. And that's a testament to his growth as a player. And when you see that level of growth from a year-to-year basis, even if you're not the most polished guy coming out of college, even if you're not going to be drafted as a quarterback one, that's a guy that I'm going to keep my eyes on. And that's the kind of guy that goes second round a la Jalen Hurts maybe sits behind a guy like Carson Wentz and then suddenly he's the guy. That's the kind of, you know, that's almost like the the path that I see for for Hendon Hooker at the next level. It's kind of getting drafted as that, you know, the 1B or the 2 and then the opportunity comes and then we find out what does he have? Will he continue to grow at the NFL level or will he just be this player uh that he's tapped out at right now? So very interesting guy. Very interesting guy. You're going to hear a lot about him for for the next few weeks and maybe even next few months. Yeah, definitely. And he's he's second in Heisman odds right now. Uh, CJ Stroud obviously is number one. I mean, can't really argue with that. But Hooker, we put money on our preseason predictions because <laughs> I hope we did. <laughs> if only betting was legal here. Right. Oh yeah, I don't do that. That's, no, no, me either. That's bad. Yeah, it's no. Anyway, head and hooker. Yeah. Good at football. Yes, he is. Um, all right. Speaking of players who are good at football, we got some badges to hand out. Give me your first one of the week. I got the quarterback's best friend badge. Uh, this is the second straight week that Quentin Johnson is making an appearance on the show for a positive reason. Uh you know, Austin was sitting there. He's ringing the phone over and over again to the Johnson residence. He's like, "Hey, get your get it together, man." Hey, guess what? Johnson got it together. Uh, this is second second week in a row. He had eight catches on fourteen targets for 180 yards and a touchdown. Uh, call it quarterback's best friend because Duggan got bailed out a few times by Quentin Johnson in this game, where he was throwing some pretty bad balls. I mean, if not could have been intercepted should have been intercepted passes that Johnson just plucked out of the air and turned into you know 50 yard gains rather than uh interception so yeah Johnson finally getting the love he deserves from this TCU offense with back-to-back 14 plus target games and uh making out well with them and it's it's hard not to give him a bad cheer because I mean, 180 yards is something, but the way he looked getting those 180 yards was ridiculous. You see a guy that's 6'4", 215, you kind of paint a picture in your head of how he's producing these yards. It's like, yeah, he's getting these contested catches. Yeah, he's getting them on the sideline, whatever, blah, blah, blah. No, Quentin Johnson is saucing somebody up on a curl route and then beating them off the catch making a miss, and then making another person miss, and then getting tackled by the safety. It's like the the how smooth he is after the catch is kind of ridiculous for his size. It's like this guy should not look like this after the catch where he is catching a drag 
and making like three guys miss in the open field. It's it's they're they're getting him the ball finally, and it is paying off because this is the Quinton Johnson we've been waiting for, and he's arriving. You know, this is exactly why. Like, I don't love the like the the first four weeks of the season, right? Like, we're doing the calls home and all this stuff. Like, it's so it it, it almost mutes his talent because there's a lot of there's a lot of things that can there's a lot of factors that can go into a player going you know four catches for 41 yards or whatever like this guy is unbelievable he's unbelievable there's no there's no other way to say it there is no reason that a player who is 6'4 215 should move like he can in the open field I mean, it's not only the long speed. That's one thing. That's one aspect of his game where you're like, oh, my God, he's really fast for this size. He's a legitimate deep threat. It's also the elusiveness in the open field to make guys miss, to get yards after the catch. I mean, I like I said last week, I'm just going to echo the same damn thing I said last week. This guy has wide receiver one in the class traits. And what I what I noticed from watching him this week, Corey Davis shows up for me on this guy's film. And I'm not saying that as like a hey, look out, this guy's gonna be a bust. I don't think Corey Davis is a bust. I just think Corey Davis played a very specific role at the NFL level, and he also dealt with a lot of injuries. Right? He's a big guy. He's a great blocker. He got, I mean, he got paid with the Jets. Like he wasn't just a, he wasn't out of the league kind of guy. It's just that he wasn't, you know, the Julio 2.0, which I tried to tell people that he might be. That's but, all right. Hey, it's all right. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but like when I watched Johnson this week, he has he has almost the same signature move as Corey Davis. It's the it's the comeback or the curl route. Where you catch it and you plant and you turn the opposite way. So you got the corner going the way that you're moving, like, oh, I'm gonna get this tackle real quick. And then you just like spin out of it and get like 12 extra yards uh because you're just gone from the picture. That's Corey Davis did that so, so much. And Quentin Johnson does the same damn thing. It's because he's so athletic. He's a huge guy that can just plant, stop, turn, and go. And that's just that's crazy to me. Corey Davis went top five in the NFL. That's all I'm saying, man. You're gonna find out what kind of athlete this guy when we get it is when we get into the testing. I think the NFL might uh, might fall in love even more at that point. Yeah, the my opinion on Johnson has changed so drastically in these last two weeks, where it was like, and I I just I need to see it. I, I've been saying that. I said that about. Kayshawn, I said that about Johnson. I said that about, I mean, Kincaid, I, I, all these guys. It's like, okay, it's cool in theory. I get you have the traits, but show me. Show me, please. I need to see this. And then here here it is. Here, here it is, back-to-back games where it's like, oh, mama. <laughs> we are seeing it, and it is beautiful. So, uh, yeah, the Johnson has legitimate like game breaking upside where he he could be one of those guys he could be one of those wide receiver one guys easily 
And he's just scratching the surface, man. Like, right. that's the thing. We keep talking about these wide receivers. It's always senior, 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 senior. This is a junior. Quinn Johnson, he's whatever this analytics community wants to say, early breakout stuff, he's got it all. I mean, he's he's there. Like, he is fr- just beginning his junior year here. We're six games in, and he's popping off like this. And, I mean, it's uh, to me, the sky is the limit for a guy like this. Yeah, he'll be 22 years old when he starts his uh, NFL career if he goes into the draft. Yep, there it is. Quentin Johnston. Quarterback's best friend. The name. Quarterback's best friend. My best friend, maybe, by the end <laughs> of this. But, um, All right, my first badge is going to another one of my best friends of the process so far. I'm keeping it simple this week. I'm going with the dual threat badge. That is going to Zach Evans because not only can this guy kill it on the ground and he does it again this week. I mean, man, the whole Ole Miss team was just killing it on the ground this week. Uh, Judkins, our guy for two years from now, he was killing it. Even the quarterback's getting in on it. But Zach Evans was getting in on the action this week. Another really strong performance on the ground from him. Also a nice day in the in in terms of a pass catching perspective. He uh, he had a touchdown on a nice little wheel route in the in the uh, red zone. It was one of those where he just immediately knew it. He throws the hand up. He's like, throw it to me, man. I'm scoring a touchdown, and he did. So Zach Evans, we got to keep the name out there, man, because this guy. I I mean, I might have kind of slipped my tongue a little bit at the top. It said Jameer Gibbs is the RB two, but. I don't know, man. Between Gibbs and Evans, there's a, there's still an, an argument there. I'm not entirely sure that I'm ready to say that Gibbs is better than Evans as a, from an, a running back perspective. But man, the, these are some talented guys in the top top group. I man, Zach Evans is everything I want to see in a running back. It's like when when he has the ball in his hands, it's electric and every single cut is is pure every time he's he's shooting a hole it is explosive and he's the second best running back on his own team and that that is like does that matter do i care like not for 2023 because Zach Evans is a damn good player. Like in 2025, maybe I can worry about that. Maybe I can worry about Judkins and how how damn good he is because we'll be drafting him at that point. But right now, Zach Evans, like he's the RB 2.5. It's like him RB 2B, <laughs> if you if you will, because uh, Jameer Gibbs is obviously that dude in Alabama and Alabama's a running back factory and they, he has the PPR upside and he has, you know, the receiving upside, which is very valuable, but Zach Evans is no slouch in the receiving game. Like you said, it's, it's uh, might be untapped given that he only has six receptions on the season, but I mean, he, when he gets the ball in the open field, it, he looks natural. It's, it doesn't look clunky. It's not something where it, it's like, Travis Etienne, where he looks like it's a kind of hard to catch the ball and then transition into running. Uh, the Zach Evans, it's like, all right, yeah, let's go. We're we're making somebody miss. We're we're doing some stuff here. He's a prototype. He is he is a prototype as a running back. Like he, 
he looks exactly like you want a running back to look. He has the athleticism that you want to see in a running back. And like, he hasn't done anything this year to make me say that my ranking of him at number two in the class is wrong or that it should move. The only thing that's happening right now, and this is turning a bit into a, another one of these versus conversations, but Jameer Gibbs, man, he is, he, he's taken it to a new level this year. That's the thing. That's the, that's the conversation. Like, Jameer Gibbs from last year, we knew that he was going to evolve in the Alabama offense, but these last few games, you're really starting to see what he brings to the table. And so that's what I'm saying here. Like, I love Zach Evans. If Zach Evans ends up as my RB3 in this class, which is entirely possible, I still would feel comfortable drafting Bijan, Gibbs, and Evans as the top three picks in this class. Yep. No doubt about it. I was going to say the same thing, where it's like uh, we're parsing hairs at this point with this running back class because, like, for me, Bijan is a, like, in this case, flawless prospect where it's like, all right. He's in his own tier. Yeah, you you are the tier one guy. You're by yourself, number one. And then it's like, uh, I mean, Zach Evans, Jameer Gibbs are probably tier two by themselves. And then, you know, you, you get into a more complicated conversation after that. But the fact that these two guys are so good in the second tier of running backs that they deserve to be, like, the second and third players taken in dynasty drafts, where they have potential to be top five dynasty running backs, period, if they have a good rookie season. That that's the type of prospects we're talking about here, where it's not, you know, oh, uh, Ken Walker, you know, if he's an injury away from being, you know, we'll, we'll see. And uh, we're seeing. <laughs> we are seeing with Ken Walker. But with Zach Evans and Jameer Gibbs, it's like, okay, these guys are going to walk into a backfield. Zach Evans is going to – Miami is going to trade up to take Zach Evans – and he is going to command that backfield. Jameer Gibbs is going to be the playmaker out of the backfield in Atlanta. It's going to be that kind of thing, where the teams that are desperate at running back are going to make their move in 2023 to get a running back, and you're going to see the fantasy production follow shortly. I'm interested to see how it looks, because it seems like as a league as a whole, it's it's really moving towards more committee there's so much less certainty around running backs these days. And like, I don't know if that's a product of the talent of that's available right now, or if it's just kind of how the league's moving. So something to keep in mind, the the wide receivers have been the bell of the ball in terms of dynasty. All these zero RB drafters are doing victory laps around people because Justin Jefferson, Cooper cup and Tyree killer the be- the top scoring assets right now but i mean i don't know what that means i don't i don't know anything about the nfl anymore it's it's, it's completely on its head right now I, I we've been saying it since the beginning of the season where it's like the the nfl is due for a guard change at running back and i think that has to do with what you're talking about where it's like some of the running backs that have come out recently have just not been panning out where you see, like, unfortunately, J.K. Dobbins, 
has the bad, bad injury. And it's just like he's not quite there yet. He's not the same. ETN has the bad, bad injury. And it's like, okay, that lends itself to a committee. Like, ETN was supposed to be their first-round pick. He's supposed to lead that backfield. J.K. Dobbins was their second-round pick. He's supposed to lead that backfield. And what you're seeing now is, like, Brees Hall. Hey, he's taken over that Jets backfield. Damian Pierce. Hey, he's taken over that Texans backfield. So maybe you that team just needs to hit on those draft picks and the guys just need to stay healthy and we'll start seeing more of those elite talents take over backfields by themselves. I'm excited for this one. I'm very Give me excited. your next badge. Uh the defibrillator badge for Kayshawn Booty. Uh he's alive. He's he is alive. He's been resurrected. Uh, eight targets, still only six catches. This is, so this is the funny thing. Last week against Tennessee, eight targets, six catches, turned into thirty three yards. This week against Florida, eight targets, six catches, turns out to one hundred fifteen yards. Kayshawn looked like the Kayshawn we have been wanting to see. This is the traits. This is the run after the catch this is the aggression at the catch point this is surviving contact this is breaking tackles this is everything you wanted to see out of Kayshawn Booty in a game and he still only got eight targets and he still only got six catches but he made the most out of all of it only thing he didn't do in this game is turn a touchdown in but at the end of the day I mean Kayshawn looked like the Kayshawn I've been waiting to see all season. It just it just felt good. I mean, the the most impressive play he had, in my opinion, was the he he was running a, a crossing route left to right across the field. He basically got sandwiched on the catch and he pulled it down for a first down and he's just like laying on the ground. I can only imagine what's going through his head, like, God damn, this guy's trying to get me killed out here. But I mean pulled in the catch which i he has had a drop problem that that's why it was the most impressive thing because he holds on through the concentration through the contact through two people hitting him and he had to come out after that play because he was dinged up so obviously it didn't feel great so uh props to to Kayshawn on that one and i mean for this whole game man we i mean we've talked about booty every single week i think like yeah no matter have. what through all of this we've talked about him every single week we're finally talking about him in the context that we thought we'd be talking about him for most of this season honestly we're i mean we're seven weeks in at this point i i almost don't even have a comment until i can see what this season looks like for him like I, I want to sit down and understand a bit more of what is going on right now because obviously this is incredibly encouraging. Like We're finally seeing it. He's defibrillated. He's back to life. 115 yards. Awesome. Like Here we go. Let's see it. So then the question becomes, you know, what has this season up till this point looked like? Like you said, it's been a bit of a drop problem. We know that there's some friction with the offense and the quarterback and all this other stuff going on. Well, maybe we can put that all behind us now, or maybe it was never that big of a problem to worry about in the first place. I can't say that for certain right now. All I can say is that this guy is showing this week, at the very least, 
the sort of the sorts of things that we had him pegged as a top three receiver in this class for. I mean, stats aren't everything, man. But at, at the same time, it's like up till this week, forty-two yards, your best game. Love. I mean, ton of drops. Yards per route run, one of the stats we've referenced quite a bit on this show. Uh, he's sub one in almost every single game this year. And then this week was 3.97. He's almost four yards yeah. per route run. So elite. Elite. So, I mean, the stats tell you weird stories. The the stat, you know, the the normal stats, the advanced stats, they're all telling their own little weird stories here. I'm just excited to get down and dirty and find out what is going on with booty because that's I don't know if I'm going to be able to form a judgment on him based off of the weekly roller coaster that has become his uh college football season. I I in my mind I've almost completely absolved Booty of all blame in this situation because <laughs> right it's like you you can clearly see one he's damn frustrated in these yes. games. And number yes. 2 he has a reason to be frustrated because when they're getting the ball in his hands in space, he does this. He has games like this, and when they're not, he doesn't. He doesn't have anything going on. And like, yeah, he has a drop problem, but a drop problem meaning a drop a game, which is, I mean, it's bad, yes, but at the same time, you're, I, you're only getting targeted six eight times a game. That, you're catching three balls one's a drop that means what four are uncatchable passes if i'm doing my math correctly like at at the end of the day it's it's hard to rely on on numbers when when you're looking at it. it's like okay you look at the mississippi state game this is stat line eight targets three catches 31 yards oh well what happened on those other five passes it's like they're probably not near them Honestly, he has one drop in this game. If you look at this Florida game, he had a great game. He was getting found, and he was getting found in space, and he was making plays happen. He was breaking tackles, and he was visibly, like, jacked up because he finally is, like, breaking the seal on this season where it's like, I finally am doing what I should be doing. And it, it was it's just encouraging to see this kind of stuff. That hand and hooker throw that I referenced earlier, the the fourth and five at the end of the game, that's the exact reason why the stats lie because that's not showing up in the stat sheet. Actually, right. it is. It's showing up as an incompletion. So, I mean, that's that's kind of – I'm just so hesitant right now. Like we, the, the campfire story, like booties out around one in the mock drafts, and then that's kind of a trend that seems like is is actually happening. But it's like, I I don't know. I'm just I I I'm very scared of of booty right now in terms of like saying anything definitive until I can like really look at him. All I know is we are currently living on a roller coaster, and this was one of the fun days where we get to go to the top and say we. <laughs> All right. Um, sticking on wide receiver. Wide receivers this week, baby. Let's go. Let's yeah. get some appreciation for the guys. Um, I'm going with the size doesn't matter badge. 
That's going to Josh Downs, who honestly, every week that he's been healthy this year has only strengthened my opinion that he's a top five wide receiver in this class because it's the things that he does as a smaller guy that truly make you say, for him, size does not matter. He is going up and getting it whenever it's thrown his way. There was two more catches in this game against Duke. Another great game. Another uh, So many of these games this week was like right down to the wire. And uh, Drake May and the, and the Tar Heels offense, man, I mean, he was finding Josh Downs in the second half over and over again. And Josh Downs was just making plays. I mean, there was one uh left side cor- almost a touchdown right in front of the pylon that Josh Downs just makes a crazy adjustment to the ball it's like he's running i i can't remember for certain i think it was like sort of a back shoulder sort of fade to the pylon and he just twists his body mid air goes over the cornerback and pulls it in and it was an amazing catch, an amazing, you know, adjustment to the ball. And that's like the fifth time that he's done that this year. And he's played like three games. So uh, it's that kind of stuff where he's this little slot weapon guy that whatever, you know, get him a cr- work in the middle of the field. But then all of a sudden you see stuff like that. And you're like, this guy is a real, real player with serious upside at the next level. You you remember what I said about Quentin Johnson about how it's like man at this size you should not be able to do those things. You can copy that and paste it right on All Josh Downs. Around. Yeah, <laughs> it's like why is Josh Downs like mossing people? What is going on? It's like uh, I'm gonna evoke a name uh, Tyreek Hill when when Tyreek Hill will like go up on somebody and then like pull down a, a, a 70 yard bomb from Mahomes. It, it's like Tyreek Hill is doing that. He's going up and, and mossing that guy. And Downs has a little bit of that in him where it's like, okay, this little guy can go up and get it. And he can like, cause he can burn you down the field and like get behind you. But you know, that quarterback underthrows the ball a little bit. You gotta, you gotta fight with the safety a little bit. And Josh Downs is down for the fight. <laughs> He's nine times out of ten winning the fight. He's fiery, man. I mean, there was one play. It was a rollout. Drake. I mean, Drake May was running a lot in this game, and there was one where I mean, it was just a kind of a simple little you know route to the sideline uh, from Downs. It would have been an easy first down, and Drake May decides to tuck it and run instead. And Josh was giving him a little bit after the play. He's like, "Man, I was wide open. Like you could have just thrown it to me. Yeah. We would have had a first down." But like. So he knows, you know, he's he's out there competing. He's he's a fiery guy out there, you can tell, and he plays that way. I mean, it's like this is my ball, I'm taking it away from you kind of mentality. And that's I mean, that's really cool as a as a smaller guy when you see that type of, you know, obviously incredibly shifty, you know, the the route running prowess that we've talked about before, but it's that catch point ability that makes you say like, yes, he's more than just that sort of slot weapon he is he could be more than that and i'm not gonna you know obviously we're not saying he's tyreek hill no no that's not what along that line of thinking where it's like you could pencil tyreek into a certain mold that he just completely exploded outside of 
That's almost kind of what it is with Josh Downs. You can't really fit him into the traditional slot mold uh, when he has the tools that he has. Yeah, that that's what I was getting at. Where yeah. I mean, I, I guess with every year we're going to compare somebody to Debo Samuel. Every year we're going right. to compare somebody oh, yeah. to Tyreek. It's easy. Yeah, I mean, every year maybe we can, get a, we can start getting T, T. Higgins comp soon, you know, superstar T. Higgins. My guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Stay yeah. on the field. <laughs> the, but Downs, uh, you you basically painted my point exactly, where it's like that the, the floor is there, the floor of the, you know, jitterbug slot where you're making everybody miss and you're breaking tackles and you're getting it done in the middle of the field. You're catching screens. You're doing all that stuff. Yes, it's there. But the added element of I can beat you vertically is like where you start seeing, okay, where is the ceiling on Josh Downs? And that that's why he's firmly in the top five in this receiver class. That's That's exactly it, man. Every time I watch him, I'm like, this is such a high floor player. He's such a high floor player. It's like he can do everything I need him to do and he can do a lot more. So what does that look like? So I I feel very confident that he's going to be a top four to five receiver in this class for me. Yeah. Um. All right. We're sticking on receivers, but we have a new Name alert. Give me your last offensive badge. All right. I hate to bring this badge back, but I, I have to do it. It's the terrific transfer badge. Man, it's too easy this year. It works so well. So uh, I got a Cornhusker, formerly of the Go Tigers Nation in LSU. Uh, moved up to Nebraska, embraced the cold. Trey Palmer. He He's a senior. I guess we give you a little outline of who this guy is. Uh, had about 560 yards before this game. So having having a good season. Having himself a solid solid year. Cornhuskers don't sling the rock a whole lot. I mean, if you, if you ever watched a Nebraska game, it's, you know, it's not not always a the slinging the pill around. But this year it's been looking a little different, you know. This this Husker Husker ball is looking a little more fun, and Trey Palmer has been a big part of it. He's a six one one ninety, and he fills every part of that frame, and he looks great. He's a speedster, former track guy, uh, and in this game at Purdue, had twelve targets, seven receptions, two hundred thirty seven yards, and two tuds. And I mean, this is his second hundred fifty plus yard game. Uh, most games hangs around 80, 90 yards. And I mean, he's been great this season and it's not somebody I had on my radar at all going into this year, but he's, he's been catching my eye and this year is kind of, or this, this week has put an exclamation point on this season to date. And it's starting to feel like, Hey, maybe this is somebody that we should be paying attention to. Maybe this is a, a later round guy that, could kind of come up the ranks you know he's a four-star guy he's obviously an sec athlete played at lsu for three years uh and is finally getting a full-time chance to shine and is doing incredibly what if he's not a later round guy what if he's not man i'm just saying like okay there's two sides to the story here 
Number one is that this is another senior wide receiver. And the late breakout crowd is going to be all over it because he didn't do anything up until this point. I mean, he's at LSU for three years. We know what kind of wide receivers they've had over the last three seasons. But he wasn't getting into it at all. Now he comes to Nebraska, and he is, like, uncoverably good. (laughs) He is, like, exceptionally good. And so it's like, what does that mean? Like, like you mentioned, he's a four star. He's got the, I mean, man, the speed, the, the track star is unreal. It's incredible. It's it truly is incredible, and that's why I kind of sit here and say like, why why not? You know, like where what is this guy lacking that stops him from being a second round pick in the NFL? Because I've seen some pretty questionable wide receivers go in the second round lately. You can say Christian Watson. I, <laughs> I wasn't even ready to go there yet. But, yes, Christian Watson. I mean, I'm thinking of guys like Tutu Atwell, uh, Andy Isabella. I mean, we're talking guys that, like, you know, it's they're, at, they're athletic and they're, you know, they have Dwayne their own Eskridge. little. Yeah, they, <laughs> they have their own little niches to fill. But. That's kind of where I'm thinking with Palmer, where it's like there's enough here where I'm sort of like more intrigued than I thought I would be because I also had no idea who this was either. You know, you see the 237, the two touchdowns, and you kind of sit there and say, oh, okay, well, stats, you know. Yep. Uh, but then I went back, watched some of his his previous film and watched the film from this game and all of that. Man, He's got some real skills. He's got some real skills. And one thing that caught my eye watching the, uh, uh, what was it here? I think it was the Indiana game. Uh, He had a really nice contested catch in that game. And I was like, damn, you're a speedster who's going up and grabbing it. And then you look at his stats on the season so far. 18 contested catch opportunities, 8 catches, 44% contested catch rate as a guy who's like a track athlete, he's a deep threat. So that's the kind of stuff that really stands out to you. There there's that. And then there's also the screen game work that he does because it's not only in this Nebraska year, but LSU, a lot of his production came on screen passes where they just like threw it out to him and let him work through the mud. And, uh, he had three touchdowns on LSU last year. All three came on screen passes. And two of them came from 30-plus yards out, where he is just picking his spots and then using that athleticism to kind of make a burst and go. So he he's more than a track guy, where we were talking about Devon A-Chain, where it's like, yeah, he could play running back. He's a real running back, and he's not just the track guy that can outrun people. Trey Palmer, it looks like a real wide receiver. It's not just, hey, I can run by the Indiana defense. It's it's like, okay, there's a little bit of nuance in here. He's, you know, making people miss. He's breaking tackles. He's making contested catches, and he's running by people. That's starting to become the ingredients to make a pretty nice recipe. Yeah, I I'll be watching Nebraska a little bit closer than I have been all year. Uh, now knowing about this player because was very interested 
very interested with what I saw from him uh, thus far. Um, all right. My last offensive badge this week is going to another running back. It's going to a guy that I made a little bit of a phone call to last week, and that's why he's getting the bounce back badge. That is Tank Bigsby. So, man, I'm just saying, when Tank has blockers in front of him, he's deadly. Like, this guy's got some serious vision because he just, like, makes ridiculous plays out of situations where you're sort of like, well, you know, an average running back would have probably got, like, three yards here and Tank just scored a 70-yard touchdown on it because he finds the hole and then he cuts back and then he makes another four guys miss in the open field. Like he's just such a a dynamic runner where it's like, it's not consistent always. Like he's, he's not a guy that it shows up consistently enough for me to be like, this is a top running back in the class. But like at the same time, he, he kind of is a top running back in the class. It's just the fact that there's like 10 running backs uh, that you can point to here, but man, he's got some serious talent when he's got some uh, space in front of him. Yeah, this is kind of what I'm talking about when I'm like, yeah, the running back class needs a guard change because uh, these running backs are getting old. You know, the guys that we've had as the staples for a long time, as the the round one redraft guys for a long time are beginning to age out and I, I mean I won't say the names we we all know them uh but if if this running back class has Tank Bigsby also as like the RB6 the RB7 whatever it is and he's doing things like he did in this Ole Miss game where I mean on that long on the the 50 yard touchdown run you're talking about where he cuts back and then makes a safety miss and then just kind of turns on the jets and scores it's like okay tank looks a little bit like a different player than he did last year a la charbonnet where tank just seems like he has a little bit more juice than he did last year it seems like he's got a little more speed and he looks the part i mean i i hate to say it again but same with zach evans it's like it, this is a a big strong auburn running back with that can do it in multiple ways. He's he's a polished running back where he has multiple moves to go to. And uh, I, I think we gave him, what, the Grim Reaper badge earlier in the season because he put the guy in the dirt on, like, a truck stick. But he has a little bit of footwork where it is apparent that he has improved that part of his game. And, I mean, there there's the, the play in the fourth quarter where he cuts to the right and then kind of gives a stutter step, makes a DB and a linebacker just freeze, and then gets another, uh, like, 40 yards off of it. Like, so, yeah, Tank Bigsby has, has impressed me this season. I, I kind of made a, a few jokes about him early in this season, but, I mean, that that's based on the fact that there's a quality in this class that is... That makes me happy. makes me feel good about this 2023 class. All right. That is the offensive side of things this week. Uh, Defense. 
Give me your defensive badge of the week. This is the old school badge uh, for Dylan Doyle. This is a Baylor linebacker. He's number five. He's six foot three, two hundred forty pounds. This is just a massive white guy in the middle of the field, and he it basically what this is is a guy that trusts his reads. He goes. If he's wrong, he's wrong. Ain't nothing helping him after that. But when he's right and he gets his paws on you, you're not going anywhere. And uh, the the reason I want to talk about him this week, he had eight tackles. Cool. Uh, He had an interception that should have won this team the game. Uh, And I was impressed because I was watching him and I was like, okay, this is a slow kind of thumper linebacker that is not – all that impressive but he's always by the ball even though he's you know not the best athlete yeah he's he's making the right read he's mirroring the running back he's meeting the running back the running back is going backwards almost every time you know and so that that's like okay cool every linebacker should do that but in the fourth quarter when this game is i think west virginia 40 Baylor 37 Doyle gets on a tight end and completely locks him up undercuts the route intercepts the pass so Baylor's in scoring position with about three minutes left and then Baylor kicks field goal ties it West Virginia comes right back down to scores but <laughs> Doyle should have won them this game it's it should have happened but uh yeah he he is a is a nice linebacker. He's been ramping up in snaps, so he's been ramping up in production, and he he looks pretty solid. I mean, he looks like a guy that can get you a ton of tackles if you need him to. It's funny you mention him as a throwback. I mean, he starts his college career at Iowa, the <laughs> home of another throwback linebacker in this class, Jack Campbell. But yeah, I mean, like you said, snaps are ramping up. We're over 60% in the last two weeks here, and, and the stats are coming with that. So sensing a bit of a theme with your last two guys here. We're pulling these linebackers, man. We had we had Mr. Gray last week. Now we have Mr. Doyle. We're adding more and more of these quote-unquote, uh, maybe I'll say unpolished linebackers into the fold, but guys that – are showing uh, potential for production. Yeah, I, I just want to... So, these linebackers, they're so, so important to an IDP landscape. It is... You're usually starting three of them, and you need guys that are going to get you ten tackles. You need guys that... And then make one more play, basically. It's like, if you can get ten tackles and a sack, if you can get ten tackles and a forced fumble, if you can get ten tackles and a pick... You're looking at a 16-20 point game. And I'm trying to find the guys that are going to be up in that 10-12 tackle range and then have a chance to make another play. So, you know, Dylan Doyle, maybe not a super polished cover guy, maybe not a super freak athlete, but he can get you 15 tackles. You know, he can be one of those guys that just, like, cleans up all the messes. I mean, he's not Roquan Smith, I can tell you that. He's not Devin White, I can tell you that. But I also know he's not Jamin Davis. Whoa. <laughs> wow. 
Shots fired, man. Sorry. All right. Uh, I am going with the... I didn't even. I don't even know what the badge is, which should be called. I'm gonna say the um, the cherry popper. It's yeah, it's the cherry popper badge. Um, <laughs> for Demarco Hellums. Um, so uh, it's funny because actually last week I I referenced that I wanted to do a DB. I watched Brian Branch from Alabama DB safety slot corner. Um, and he was fine last week, um, but Helms was really catching my eye last week on the on the tape from the from last week's game, and I was like, "Who the hell is this guy?" I mean, they got Jordan Battle, they got Brian Branch. I mean, we got two NFL safety prospects right there, and then we're throwing this guy into the mix. I'm like, I don't even know who this is, but he's making plays all over the field. Uh, fast forward to this game against Tennessee and Hellums had another really nice game. And obviously the big play is the interception of Hendon hooker hookers first interception of the season. And it's a play I referenced earlier, you know, kind of a bad throw, but Hellums is in the right spot to capitalize on it. And he's just all over the field, making, making tackles and making plays. So I, you know, as what I'm going to say, maybe the third safety on this Alabama team, maybe the most impressive from what I've seen so far this year in terms of an IDP prospect, just because Brian Branch, like I said, he plays more of that slot corner. Uh, he projects as a safety, but he's been playing mostly slot corner this year. Jordan Battle, I, I haven't really looked too far into his game so far this year and how he's been doing. But Helms is the guy that shows up for me when I turn on that Crimson Tide defense. So this is a guy that, uh, you know, DBs, kind of a fickle position, always in flux, but looking for these guys who are sort of playmakers, and he fits the bill. So you're not worried about the bad PFF grade this week? Why don't we wait to fire up the campfire and I'll tell you no. exactly what I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, so when it comes to DBs, it's it's hard to find, you know, production. It's hard to find rookie production, especially because uh, I mean, safety is a damn hard position to play in the NFL. Uh, but the kind of guy you want is a player like Hellums, the guy that's going to play in the box, a guy that's going to play on an NFL-style defense. Because, I mean, if there's one thing we know, it's that Alabama DBs are translating into the NFL. Uh, so, I mean, this uh, nine tackles is what you're looking for and a pick. It's like, hmm, okay, this is interesting. Seven tackles last week, six the week before that. Uh, it, it's a guy that's getting his nose dirty in the box. Six one two zero eight, bigger fella for a DB position. Uh, not a hybrid. We're staying away from hybrids. I'm done. I'm done with hybrids. You know, I don't like them. So I want a safety that that could play in the box. I want Donovan Wilson. I want Jonathan Abram. I want Buda Baker. You know, those kind of guys that that'll can cover, 
and Jamal Adams, guys that are going to stick their nose in the business and get tackles and then can be playmakers on the side. And Hellam seems to have both of those abilities. Yeah, that's basically it, man. Like, that's exactly what I'm looking for, guys who, you know, and, and some of those names that you rattle off, it's like these aren't necessarily the best safeties at their positions, but they're guys that you can rely on to consistently put up numbers because they're playing around the ball enough. And that's kind of what I'm seeing with Hellams. I mean, it's uh, it was a little bit reminiscent of a guy like Lewis Seen last year where it's just like he's always around the ball. And, yeah, I, I know. It's it's horrible what happened with him. And, and honestly, he was he might be sort of a you know, kind of a one-of-one one, where it's like that national championship game performance where he was just around the ball everywhere. He's it's a like psychopath. You, you know he's, like, destined to be an IDP superstar. And then, obviously, we get the injury here, but – um, Hellams was that on sort of like a miniature level for me watching the game last week where I was, it's like every play, every tackle, every moment was like, oh, that's Hellams again. And so, yeah, good to see him, uh, stacking up a few nice games in a row here. hundred percent. All right. Uh, let's turn our attention ahead to week eight. It's week eight because this was week seven. Yes. It's week it's gonna be week seven in the NFL, but this is gonna be week eight. Yes. So uh first game on the slate this week. This is a this is a nice one, man. It's eleven AM, it's ABC number fourteen ranked Syracuse, man. The Orange is the 14th ranked team in the nation right now, and they're going up against 7-0, number 5 ranked Clemson. We know what's going on on both sides of the ball in this one. It's going to be Sean Tucker versus these IDP prospects on Clemson, and it's going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah, Miles Murphy had a hell of a game last week. Didn't didn't get involved in the IDP talk, but... He's been playing like a maniac out of his mind this year, and Sean Tucker continues to stack great games on top of each other, adding to this deep RB class. Hell yeah, and I'm sticking this one in there too just because we haven't talked about them in too many weeks. Also at 11 o'clock on ESPN, Following game day. We always get the post-game day <laughs> games in here for some reason. But number 21, Cincinnati. Ivan Pace Jr. on the defensive side of things. Going up against the Mustangs. SMU. <laughs> Rasheed Rice. Let's get it back, baby. Yeah, let's see if the, the Rasheed Rice-led Mustangs can get an upset win over the 21-ranked. Cincinnati Bearcats here. I believe, man. Rasheed is going to pop off in this game. I'm feeling like some serious camper of the week energy. 17 targets, 16 catches, 225 yards, and two touchdowns. I believe it. I could see that. <laughs> um, all right. 
moving on to the the later window, the, uh, the early afternoon window, we have the 2.30 p.m. CBS-SEC matchup where Ole Miss, number seven ranked now. We the, Man, Ole Miss, Tennessee, these SEC teams kind of, you know, coming out of nowhere here now. Uh, and Ole Miss this week going up against LSU. Booty looking to string together some strong performances. And then we have Zach Evans, Jonathan Mingo, and the squad on the other side of it. Yeah, we'll see if LSU can pull off an upset here. It's going to be a pretty tough game to uh, get Booty back on track two games in a row. But, yeah, I mean, Mississippi, Ole Miss, I mean, undefeated. This so is fun. This man. our running back committee is ridiculous. So Did see there, if they can oh, keep toting that thing all over this LSU defense and Ojolari and company. Chodkins, man, he is he's so good. good. He's really good. Next up, we're staying in the SEC. Six thirty p.m. This one's on the SEC network. We're moving to the to the special channels for this one, but little bit of an interesting game here. We get Texas A&M versus South Carolina. Two teams. Been a little disappointing this year, but a chance for the Stars to shine uh, in this matchup. We're still kind of waiting on Jaheim Bell to do something on the South Carolina side, put his name in this tight end group again, alongside Kincaid, Mayer, and the rest of them. Um, and then obviously a chain, uh, we're coming back here another, uh, action for him, another chance to shine for him as well. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately Debo Samuel having a bit of a down year for, (laughs) (laughs) uh, no, this should, this should be a good, a good ball game just in general. Uh, a chain is whether I like the team or not is an NFL prospect and uh, actually is is real good. So it should be a pretty fun game to watch. Last on my list this week, and man, this might be the one that I'm most excited about. It is seven o'clock. It's we're not we're not on ABC this week. We are going to FS one, seven PM. Number 17, Kansas State, Deuce Vaughn, and the squad going up against number 8, TCU, baby. This team, the glory days. I remember high school, it was like Gary Patterson's TCU and then Boise State. Those were like the small schools that were making all the noise. We're back in TCU's golden age. Quentin Johnston coming alive here, and we are a top ten ranked team right now. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how you know the Deuce Vaughn and Felix Andy Duque Uzoma see how he makes Max Duggan feel all day on that TCU offense. See if uh, Duggan can get on time on target with Quentin Johnston in this game. Another fun week ahead. College football, I don't know if it can live up to week seven, but it's going to try. And, man, it's it's been a lot more exciting than the NFL's been, I'll tell you that. I hope it doesn't try because it would be real (laughs) tough. (laughs) Just setting up for disappointment. Hey, are we still on on JSN watch? (laughs) I feel like every week I'm like, hey, JSN might play. 
I will not believe it till I see it. That's where I'm at with oh, JSN. 11 hours ago, will Ohio State football's Jackson Smith and Jigba play against Iowa? Question mark. That's from Cleveland.com. Uh, probably not. I hope so. I Nathan hope Baird so, but... on the beat. Anyway. <laughs> Nathan. There he is. Nate. Ooh. Uh, all right. Anyway, sorry. What do you got? Uh, Ryan Day said, yeah, I would say so. Oh, okay. <laughs> Signs of life. Signs of life. That's all I need. But... Signs of life. <laughs> Who yeah. knows if Ryan Day is telling the truth? No, he looks very untrustworthy. I don't trust him <laughs> for a second. But um, all right, it is time now to turn our attention away from Week Seven and on to one final order of business this week. It is campfire stories. <laughs> So Kyle Pitts caught a touchdown. Everybody was surprised, shock and awe and everything. Uh, So everybody's mad about Kyle Pitts this year. Um, And so, you know, you got to look at it from a, you know, non-fantasy owner point of view. You got to look at it as like, okay, why? Why? Why is this happening with Kyle Pitts? Why is Kyle Pitts not on pace to have another thousand yard season? You know, uh, and this this is the frustration you go through with dynasty, with fantasy football, with uh, watching sports in general. It's like you have an expectation, it doesn't get met. What does that mean, and why? You know, and so I mean, some people put in more work. And have different expectations than others, and form opinions based on things they see with their eyes, and you know one thing or another. So Kyle Pitts, what's going on with Kyle Pitts? Why, why am I not worried about Kyle Pitts? Because I'm not. I believe that Arthur Smith has a long game in mind. I, I believe that Arthur Smith, I, obviously Pitts missed last week due to hamstring, but other than that, has been not super involved in this offense outside of one week. And I I believe that's because Arthur Smith is trying to teach Kyle Pitts how to play football. The biggest, how to play the tight end position, I should say. Because the biggest knock on Kyle Pitts is, yeah, he's a generational receiver talent at the tight end position. But he can't block for shit. Well, if you want to play tight end full-time in the NFL and you want to be elite at that position, you need to be able to block on rundowns or else you are a dead giveaway tell that your team is not running the ball, and if they are, they're not running it your way. Because if you can't run block, you cannot play actual tight end in the NFL. Look at Gronk. Look at the elite guys. Gronk, Kelsey, Kittle. I mean, the, the guys that did it for a long time. Tony Gonzalez. I mean... The, the guy that comes to mind that didn't do it is like Jimmy Graham. And he was only good on that Saints heavy pass attack offense where he was basically a wide receiver. And then he demanded wide receiver money, went to the Seahawks, got forced to block, got washed out of the league pretty quick, didn't he? Right. So we want Kyle Pitts to be a real two-dimensional tight end football player. So you know what Arthur Smith says? Hey, 
you're running routes on 75% of pass plays because on 25% of them, we're having your ass in here blocking on the end of the line. And then he's blocking on rundowns. Guess what? He's getting better at blocking. It's nice. By the end of the season, he will keep getting better at blocking. And he will no longer be a liability in the in the, the blocking game, in the run game. And then Kyle Pitts becomes an every down threat to the defense regardless of game plan. And then you can start to formulate an offense that features Kyle Pitts in play action, in shotgun, motion him outside, put him in the slot. You can start doing things that get freaky with Kyle Pitts like you can do with George Kittle, like you can do with Travis Kelsey, like you could do with Tony Gonzalez. So I that's why I am feeling better about Kyle Pitts now than I did at the beginning of the season because it was like, oh, they're not using Kyle Pitts. But if you look into it, it's like, is their job to, like Arthur Smith said it in the press conference, oh, we're not playing fantasy football, we're trying to win. They are, and they're winning. And Kyle Pitts is getting better at football. So at the end of the day, will that translate into fantasy points? Well, we know for sure he's a good receiver. Eventually, they're going to start throwing the pill around. And then Kyle Pitts start raking in, raking in fantasy points. Go buy him while you can. Tight ends, man. They're completely screwed. They're completely screwed up. Because Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews have like broken the position where now the expectations are that the number one tight end should outscore the number four tight end by 80 points by week seven and i'm i'm wondering what it's gonna look like when travis kelsey is gone like what what does tight end look like in fantasy when there's no more travis kelsey to do this and Kyle Pitts is like the the heir apparent, you know, like he should be the next guy that's like the tight end one for years and years and years and years. But I don't know, man. I don't know. It's it's one of those things where you just cannot be certain at that position because it's so game plan based. It's the, Travis Kelsey is Travis Kelsey because of what offense he plays in. That's what it is. And so I would have loved to go back. I would have loved to live in an alternate universe where we could talk about Kyle Pitts on this show for weeks and weeks and weeks and sit here, give him camper of the week, talk about him all season to find out what we would have been saying at that point about dynasty expectations. Kind of in the same way that we're talking about guys in this class that aren't as talented like how high do you draft Michael Mayer I don't know I don't know anymore I don't know what the right answer is with tight ends because I don't think you can trust talent equaling production in the NFL I just don't know if you can do that at the tight end position correct right what so what basically my point is that Maybe Kyle Pitts 
just never will be the fantasy threat that people thought that he would be. Maybe he's just going to be a really good tight end in the NFL, and maybe it never equals 150 points more than tight end two. Right. I. It It's just so hard for me to get there because he had a thousand yards last year that that's where it happens where it's like if if Pitts scores six touchdowns last year instead of one and six isn't a ton for an elite player and like six is like what dj moore scores with a thousand yards and Pitts should be scoring more touchdowns given what he looks like given how he plays like he's a freak and so if he scores six touchdowns, I feel like we are looking at Kyle Pitts in a wholly different light than we are now. Because even with a thousand yards, like that's an incredible season as a player, broke, broke records. It's not, it wasn't that great of a fantasy season. It, at the end of the day, it was like, it, it was above average for a tight end. It was a guy that you could plug and play, but it wasn't elite. It, it was you avoided the streaming hell landscape of tight end, but it wasn't Mark Andrews, it wasn't Travis Kelsey, it wasn't Dalton Schultz even, but it was still Kyle Pitts, and you got to see it. So Kyle Pitts adds on six touchdowns. We're like, oh baby, this is the guy we were looking at. So it at. at at some point, it's like, okay, well, when is he going to start scoring touchdowns? That's the question. He's got to get the usage. He's got to get, I mean, he's a low-volume passing offense, this, that, the other thing. We go over that whole thing. Uh, but I I am just saying, if you look at how he played last year versus how he's being used this year, it's a lot different. And I think it's for his growth as a complete football player rather than just playing into his strengths uh, so that in the future you can have somebody that is a polished football player and then you can use them like Travis Kelsey because Travis Kelsey is a complete tight end. He's a guy that can be used as an endline blocker. So I don't know if Kyle Pitts will never be the blocker that, that Kelsey is, that Kittle is, that whatever else, but he still can be a lot better. And I think that's kind of what they're whittling him down to. What is one thing that Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, and George Kittle all have in common? They're great blockers. They're big. They're on good offenses. Smart offense coordinators. They weren't top selections at the tight end position. That too. And I keep coming back to that. Because look at some of the top guys from the last I five. I I did do this a, a little bit ago and it, it did freak me out. It did it, it is scary. I mean, you look I, at what, like Eric Ebron, you look at Brandon Pettigrew, you look at Hayden Hurst. You look at like all these guys. I Hayden Hurst was in the same draft class as Mark Andrews, and Mark Andrews same team is the guy him. exactly. And so that's. I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm not gonna draw 
you know, lines and dots and things just based off of something as simple as that. But what I'm trying to say is, like, tight end is just so different than any other position when it comes to draft capital lining up with production. And it's amazing that we saw Kyle Pitts do what he did as a rookie because I would have never guessed that he would have had a thousand yard season as a rookie, even with his talent. I would have probably told you that that was almost unrealistic to expect it. And he did that. But at the same time, it's like there's that little thing in the back of your mind where you're sort of just sitting there like, you know, is this guy just a really athletic big receiver playing tight end on a, on a team devoid of receiver talent right like I don't know it's 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 food for thought because it just seems like these top tight ends when they when they crop up when when they appear it's not Eric Ebron it's not you know it's not these guys it's it's somebody from the third round a bigger guy good blocker that gets into a very friendly scheme for, for for touches and becomes an absolute monster. It's food for thought. Know. This is just something that's been on my mind that I've been trying to figure out for a while. Because this is, I mean, this is a premier dynasty like asset. And is it going to be for a long time? And how do we know if it is or it isn't? And I mean, I guess the conclusion is that I've come to is he looks the part. So I believe that he has the talent to be a guy. And if if I'm right about how Arthur Smith is using him, which I might not be, but if I am and he becomes a serviceable end line blocker, it opens up a world of possibilities for how he can be used in the future. I hope that he does. Me too. Man. Philosophical tight end conversations. That's fun. Especially with we're having a camper of the week as a tight end and then it's like well don't draft him actually because you, you just want to draft a guy in the fourth <laughs> round and stash him. He'll be the guy. Daniel Bellinger stands, stand yeah. up. Especially at midnight, late night Camp Dynasty. <laughs> I'm delirious. All right. <laughs> um, so my campfire story, I alluded to this. It's about PFF. Because something came up this week that just really rocked me to my core and I don't know if this was the first week on the show that we didn't reference a PFF grade specifically but it might be and that was intentional because I'm never going to reference one of those again and why not I watched the Packers and the Jets this week and I watched Quinn and Williams have one of the most dominant defensive performances that I can remember and it extended to special teams as well he blocked the field goal he was making Aaron Rodgers life miserable the offensive line is in shambles coming out of this week nobody knows what to do with any of them now and Quinn Williams gets a mediocre PFF grade and I'm like 
what do we need to see then? What What is the criteria? Because I utilize these grades as sort of a guiding light for players that I can't physically watch every single week across college football. And now I'm my entire confidence in the value has been shaken because I watched what Quinn and Williams did this week. And then I saw what sort of number that uh, was associated with that performance. And I was like, that is not right. That cannot be right. I was at this game. I Look at you on scene. I watched Quinn and Williams physically manhandle grown folks in the middle of the Packers offensive line. I I was like, man, is that Quinn and Williams again? Every single time Aaron Rodgers had a bad pass, guess what? It's because Quinn and Williams was just shedding an interior lineman. It, it was, you know what? You want to know the litmus test for this? I was driving in in the car with my dad. And he goes, at number 95 on the Jets. Man, I wish we had somebody like that. <laughs> so if you're telling me, like, I'll take the dad grade over the PFF grade any day of the week where it's like. Any day. It's like if, if, he, if he recognized that he's having a good game and he's pissed off about it. That means way more than a, a 60-whatever PFF grade. Because if you watch that game with two working eyeballs, you grade that as an A+. Plus, as an A-plus game. Like, it's an A at worst. Because uh, he completely ruined all of the Packers' game plan. He was stuffing runs. He was in Rodgers' lap. He had two sacks in this game. I mean, he was making the Packers' offense hell. And PFF's like, hey, it was fine. <laughs> I yep. I, I I can never I can never trust it again. I will never trust it again because if I ever come on here and say, well, so and so had a sixty-eight grade this week, wasn't wasn't great. That it might have been that they were the best player at their position of all time that week because could've, that's could have been. <laughs> so. That's that I'm 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 eulogizing PFF grade usage on this podcast around the campfire tonight. It's it's over now. I'm I, I'm I'm ripping it up. I'm I'm taking it. Hold on, let me let me rip it up. <laughs> I'm, I'm ripping See it you up later. And I'm throwing <laughs> it in the fire. The stat sheet. Chris Collinsworth is crying tears right now. Oh man. Well, that is week seven. Week seven. Week seven. With confidence. I'm on this. Yep. Week seven. It is the end of week seven, and so, man, it's a it's a different feel tonight around the camp. Putting out the campfire a little later than normal this week. I think I think I see the sun coming up. Yeah, that's the birds are chirping, and you're like, "Oh, damn, are we up that late?" 
but that's good. It's fun. It's a fun time. A lot of excitement. And man, I'm just like, I dove into hooker this week on the tape. I, I got my little scouting sheet out that I'm going to use this year, my little template. And I got the juices flowing, man, because I'm ready to start putting some real uh, stock into the 2022 performances and getting this thing labeled into a big board. Oh, real big board. I'm excited. I'm actually going to get a physical big board. I'm excited for that. Oh, hell yeah, man. I might do that too. Yeah. Get a, you're you know, getting. I'm going to get a, no, I'm going to get a bulletin board and I'm going to get note cards with push Ooh. pins. Yeah. That, that is the move right there. Yeah. That's some real Mike Mayock shit. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that is all we have this week. Um, I didn't, I meant to do this at the top. I'm still learning how to be a podcast host, but if you enjoyed the episode, if you've been enjoying the episodes, leave us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Music. Give us a comment. We will be moderating them and replying to them potentially. We got some comments this week about a potential badge name for Hendon Hooker. That gets a person fired up. We got the people talking about Hendon Hooker already, so... Uh, fun stuff so drop us uh, a, a review a comment to follow us on uh, twitter at camp underscore dynasty and let's have some fun the rest of the way baby so thank you for stopping by camp dynasty this week and have a great week